Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. Hey, today is part two on the kindness of Ruth and Boaz, and we're looking at the book of Ruth. And what an exciting book it is. And uh, when you think about your life, John Piper said this about our lives, and it's such a poignant way of looking at life. Uh, Life is not a straight line, leading from one blessing to the next, and finally arriving in heaven. Now, life is a winding and a troubled road. Switch back after switch back. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us to feel in our bones, not just to know in our heads that God is for us in all of these strange turns. You know, God's not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning everything up. No, he's plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ himself. I want you to know all of the Bible points to Christ. All of the trials and tribulations that we face in life should point us to Christ. And the book of Ruth is a book uh, uh, that is a love story between Ruth and Boaz, and Boaz marries this Moabite woman, and all of history is changed. I mean, after all, if Boaz had married Ruth, where would we be in the lineage of Christ? Because Ruth was the grandmother of David. So let's look at this interesting book of Ruth. But before we dive into the book itself, let's look at the conditions of Israel at the time of the writing of the book of Ruth. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, gives us a highlight of where things were and how things were in Israel. Let me read it to you, verses 1 through 6, 2 Chronicles chapter 15. I'm reading out of the message translation. Then Azariah, son of Obed, moved by the Spirit of God, went out to meet Asa. He said, Listen carefully, Asa, and listen, Judah and Benjamin. God will stick with you as long as you stick with him. If you look for him, he will let himself be found. But if you leave him, he'll leave you. For a long time, Israel didn't have a real God, nor did they have the help of a priest or a teacher or even a book. But when they were in trouble and they got serious and they decided to seek God, the God of Israel, God let himself be found. At that time, it was a dog-eat-dog world. Life was constantly up for grabs. No one, regardless of country, knew what the next day might bring. Nations were battling against nations, cities, pummeling cities. God let loose every kind of trouble among them. But it's different with you. Be strong. Take heart. Payday is coming. I hope that encourages you today. You may be going through a hard time. You may be looking at your life and says, what is the use of carrying on? It's a dog-eat-dog world. It seems like everybody's against me. It seems like our world is headed right down into the cesspool of sin. It seems like there's no hope. It seems like the future is not very bright. I want you to know payday is coming. If you will be strong and take heart, God will bless you. I promise you he will. When Joshua took over as the, uh, the leader of the nation of Israel, I mean, he stepped into some mighty big shoes. He was going to take over for Moses. God had a plan for Joshua but didn't want Joshua to lose hope. 
All of chapter number one of the book of Joshua re-emphasizes the theme. Hey, Joshua, be strong, be courageous, obey this book of the law, meditate on it day and night, then your days will be prosperous. Joshua had to learn to be strong and courageous. I had discovered something. When you begin to lose your courage, you lose your courage, you lose your strength. When you get discouraged, you've lost courage. And it's not that your situation has become hopeless. You have become hopeless. Oh, my friends, put your faith and trust in Christ. Be strong. Take heart. Payday is coming soon. Well, in the book of Ruth, we discover that God was going to use a Gentile woman of all people to turn his people back to God. Let me give you an overview of the book of Ruth. It really is an overview of the sin cycle. Chapter number one, rebellion. God's people rebelling against God, famine coming to the land. In some cases, God's people running from God because of rebellion. And then chapter number two, retribution takes place. Listen, the wages of sin always has consequences. God will ensure that the law of sowing and reaping is played out. So we see rebellion in chapter number one of Ruth, retribution in chapter number two of Ruth, repentance in chapter number three of Ruth, and then restitution is the fourth stage of how God redeems his people. We do the same thing. Uh, We go through times of rebellion, and then there's retribution that comes for our rebellion. Uh, Then we get our hearts right with God, and then God begins to restore us. It's the same cycle that we go over and over and over again. In the nation of Israel's case, there was famine in the land, in Bethlehem of all places. Here, Bethlehem, which means household of bread or household of blessing, we see that Israel is now experiencing a time of famine. Bethlehem, that little town of Bethlehem, house of blessing, was that little town, not because it was insignificant. It was little because it didn't have a large population of people. It was an agrarian type of culture. It was a farming culture. As a matter of fact, when Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem, the famine is over, and they're enjoying the barley festival, the barley feast. So when we look at this book, it it is a book that will teach us how to be kind. And what I want to drive home today is how does God use kindness in our lives, based on the book of Ruth? Well, number one, God uses kindness to lead us home. We could say this is love's resolve, the resolve that God is going to love us so much that he's going to lead us home. You think about when you became a follower of Christ. You probably became a follower of Christ because of the kindness of another believer. They reached out to you in the depths of your despair, or maybe when you were at the end of your rope, maybe when you were defeated and despondent and didn't know what to do. A believer came along and shared the gospel. They were kind to you. And as a result of that, you became a follower of Christ. In Ruth chapter 1, it says, verses 6 and 7, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So we learn very early that the famine is now over. Oh, Naomi is bitter. She's lost a husband. She's lost two sons. 
But she says, the best thing for me to do now, let's go back to my people. The famine's over. Uh, let's go back home. The two daughter-in-laws start to go with her, Ruth and Orpha. But Orpha decides not to make the journey and stays there in Moab. The two daughter-in-laws there begin together going with her, but they don't go all the way home uh, with her. Only Ruth goes with her. Here we just see something amazing. The love of Ruth for her mother-in-law. Now, not everybody loves their mother-in-law like Ruth loved Naomi. Uh, and it's too sad. It's sad that that's the case. I'm so thankful that I have a, a wonderful mother-in-law that I get along with her very well. But when we look at this story, this fascinating story, Ruth sees something different about Naomi. Ruth is willing to go with her. As a matter of fact, what Ruth says of her mother-in-law, we often repeat in wedding vows. Ruth says, don't make me go back and stay here in Moab. Your people are going to be my people. Your God are going to be my God. Wherever you go, I will go. And Ruth begs her mother-in-law, please let me go with you. And what happened? Ruth had a conversion experience. She saw the reality of the God of Israel. And as a result, she goes back after seeing the kindness of the Lord. So God uses kindness to lead us home. And oftentimes he does that to us. I want you to focus on the goodness of the Lord today. Maybe you've been drifting in your relationship with Christ. You know, we never drift in the right direction. We, we always drift in the wrong direction. We kind of drift off the road. Drifting is not good. If you're drifting today in your relationship with God, I pray that you will focus on the goodness of God. David said, I would have despaired. I would have given up if I didn't see the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. I want you to know if you're looking for the kindness of the Lord, you'll find it. We tend to find what we're looking for. It was Billy Graham who says, whenever you see a disaster take place, don't focus on the disaster itself. Focus on those who are rescuing people. I think about 9-11. Thousands of lives were killed on, on 9-11. People trying to get out of those burning towers, and rightfully so. But there are a handful of heroes that ran into that scene of chaos and tried to pull out as many people as they could, tried to rescue as many people as they could. You talk about the kindness of rescuers. We saw it on 9-11. We see the kindness of God every single day if we will look for it. You know, whenever I get discouraged, it's because I'm looking at the bad things in my life. I'm not looking at the blessings of my life. If you have just a moment, think about all the good things that God has blessed you with. You're probably driving in a car right now that has heating and air conditioning. Uh, you're probably driving in a vehicle that is very reliable. Uh, it starts up every single day, and it takes you where you need to go. Maybe you got to put gas in that car, and you pull into the gas station. You say, I can't believe gas is over $3 a gallon. But I want you to, instead of looking at the price of gas, say, Lord, I'm so thankful that I can pull in here, and I can get some gas. And I don't have to worry about uh, not having enough. And I don't have to go in there and say, well, you can only get a gallon today because uh, there's a shortage. Now we got plenty of gas. And although it might cost us a little more uh, than we want to pay, let's thank the Lord that we have it. Think about your family. You go home and you've got a wife and you have children. And even if your family has struggles, every family does. But why don't you focus on the good things that are happening in your family? Look at the wonderful home that God has given you. I was thinking about that just the other day. You know, the temperatures are, are starting to drop. Uh, we're now entering into the fall season. And uh, the other day, it was 43 degrees. And I'm out walking early in the morning. And I said, man, I'm so glad that I can go back to a house that is warm. 
And then when it's summertime, when it gets really hot, I'm so glad that I can live in a house that is air conditioning. What a blessing. Don't take the blessings of the Lord for granted. Thank the Lord for the blessings that you have. Think about your pastor. Think about your church and the congregation that God has blessed you with. Listen, you don't have a perfect church. Nobody does. But thank the Lord that you have a place to worship. And I don't know about your church, but I know this Sunday when we gathered to worship, I didn't worry about the police coming in there and locking us out. Or I didn't worry about anybody putting pressure on us, uh, restricting what we could say. Oh, that may change in the future. But right now, we have this wonderful opportunity to share the gospel wherever we go. Listen, God will often use kindness, his kindness, to lead us home. There's a second way that God uses kindness, looking at the book of Ruth. Did you know that God uses kindness to teach us the law of sowing and reaping? In Ruth chapter 2, we are looking at the response to Boaz. Let me just read the text. Verse number 10. At this, she, referring to Ruth, bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And look at how Boaz replied. I love how he responded. He said, Man, I've been told all about everything that you have done, all that you've done for your mother in law since the death of your husband, how you left your father, you left your mother, you left your homeland, and you came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Don't you love this, how this is put together? Boaz says, you know what? I've heard about you, Ruth. And let me set the scenario as to what is happening. Ruth is revealing the fact that Boaz is related to her mother-in-law. And Boaz has already been kind without even knowing this. Let's set the scenario in chapter number two. As Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem, Naomi is no longer this sweet, beautiful person that she left. As a matter of fact, she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet. She says, don't call me Mara, which means bitter. She comes back as a bitter woman. Now she's got to find a way to take care of herself and to take care of her daughter-in-law. So she says to Ruth, you know, as is the custom, those who are farmers, as they go out, and it is harvest season, it is the barley harvest season, uh, the farmers will always leave a certain portion of the field unharvested. You see, this was God's original welfare program. It wasn't really welfare, it was workfare, where the farmer would realize that those who are poor need some help, but they also want to maintain their dignity. You know, there's something about working for your food that brings dignity to you. Uh, it's much better than just receiving a handout. And so the farmers would keep about 25% of their fields unharvested. And they would do this so that those who were poor would come after the harvesters left, and they would glean off of that field. Well, that's what Ruth is doing. Under the instruction of Naomi, she says, go find a field where you can glean 
and that way we'll have something to eat. So she's doing that, and she runs into this guy by the name of Boaz. Now, here is an amazing thing. Now, I believe that God oftentimes speaks through circumstances, but you always got to be careful because the enemy also speaks through circumstances, right? And so here, a circumstances is opening for Ruth to be able to glean off the fields of Boaz. She has no idea who he is. Uh, he has no idea who she is. But then they discover that they are next of kin on Naomi's side. And so we discover here that Boaz has learned about the kindness of Ruth. Ruth is caring for her mother-in-law. How Ruth leaves her family, leaves her mom and dad, leaves her country, leaves her town, uh, leaves everything that she knew so that she could be with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And all of the people in the town knew about Ruth, even though she's just moving back to Bethlehem. All the people in town know that you're a woman of noble character. And so when we look at this fascinating story, we discover that kindness given is kindness received. Or maybe you're listening to me today and say, well, people have been awful mean to me. I've discovered something about kindness. If you cannot find somebody to be kind to you, why don't you be kind to somebody else? Because kindness multiplies as it is given, not as it is received. The kinder we are to others, the more kindness we receive back. That's what exactly is happening in the story of Ruth. Because of her kindness to Naomi, Boaz is being kind to Ruth. It's the recycling of kindness, giving away of that kindness. You know where the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you? Many times we think that's money. And there's true, there's that principle, if you give generously of your resources, of your money, you will receive generously in return. Because you can't give generously until you receive generously, right? But really that passage is talking about giving in a, in a very general sense of the term. We should give what we need most. Do you need companionship? Be a friend. The Bible says that he that hath friends must show himself to be friendly. Do you need financial help? You see, so many times people look at life and say, well, I can't afford to give right now. I mean, I'm flat broke. You can give a little bit. Give and it shall be given unto you. Maybe you're feeling right now that, that I don't have much time. You know why you don't have much time? It's because you are misallocating the time that you do have. You know, everybody has the same amount of time, 168 hours a week. That's what everybody here has listening to me. Nobody has more, nobody has less. The issue is not how much time I have. The issue is how do I use my time? You see, a lot of us, I think, we fill our lives with busyness. As a matter of fact, sometimes I love when people come up to me, well, pastor, you must be really busy. Uh, and I say, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing a thing. And it blows their mind because they're thinking, well, the pastor must always be busy. You know, I find out that busyness can be like idol worship. We worship the fact that we are busy because we think that the busier we are, the more important we are. Now, the busier you are, it just means you're busy. It doesn't necessarily mean you're important. doesn't necessarily mean that you're accomplishing much for the kingdom of God. You know, when I think about time, we are told to redeem the time for the days are evil. 
You could be super busy doing, filling your life with a whole lot of things. But if you don't fill your life with the most important things, you are spinning your wheels. Take time to slow down to be holy. Listen, if you're too busy to go to church, you're too busy. If you're too busy to spend time with your family, you're too busy. If you're too busy to care for your health, you're too busy. There is no virtue in burning out. And now, oh yeah, I know there's no virtue in rusting out either, right? Uh, somebody may be listening to me today say, yeah, yeah, you tell it like it is, preacher. Uh, we need to kick back and relax. And, and your problem is not that you don't relax enough. Your problem is you relax too much. You worship idleness. We don't worship either one. There's no virtue in being overly idle and no virtue in being overly busy. You only have one life to live, so soon it's going to be gone. Only what's done for Christ will last. We are told to buy up the time because the days are evil. That means when we look at our day, we say, okay, Lord, how can I best glorify you today? I often ask the Lord to allow me to get the mundane task done quickly. You think about the mundane task of life. Those are the things you got to do every single day, right? Uh, you got to go up and you got to take care of your body, right? You got to get yourself cleaned up. You got to brush your teeth. And and uh, there's some things you got to take care of in your house. You got to make sure the dishes are washed. You got to make sure, uh, you know, the house is clean. And and, uh, and there's so many day-to-day things that you got to do, right? And that's where the monotony of life comes in. So I'll often ask, say, now, Lord, help me to be productive in getting things done efficiently, okay, so that I have time to do what's most important in life. So pray that the Lord will guide your steps. So many times we look at life like a piece of pie, and we cut up these sections of our lives. And uh, the problem with that is, is that we are in control. I want you to know that God owns the whole pie. It all belongs to Him. And sometimes we've got to be flexible so that we can be going in the direction that He wants us to go into. There's never enough time to do everything that you think you should do, but there's always enough time to do exactly what God wants you to do. So find out where He wants you to move and find out how he wants to use your time. God uses his kindness to teach us the law of sowing and reaping. If you do not prioritize yourself, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Put Christ first in your life all the time, every time, and he'll take care of all those other things that we worry about. That is part of the law of sowing and reaping. If you're in the habit of not seeking the Lord, you're God. If you're in the habit of putting yourself first, you will experience the law of sowing and reaping in a negative way. So God uses kindness to lead us home. God uses kindness to teach us the law of sowing and reaping. Number three, God uses kindness to test our obedience. We're in Ruth chapter three now, and we see a twist of events that is happening. Let's pick up the story in verse number nine. Who are you, he asked. Now, let me set the context here, okay? Ruth has now learned that Boaz is related to her mother-in-law and her late father-in-law. As a result of that, Naomi has instructed her what needs to be done next. This is God divinely working in these circumstances. And so, Ruth is told by Naomi to go and visit, and at the end of the evening, they're having a barley feast a celebration, and you know how it is on Thanksgiving Day, right? You gorge yourself and eat all this food, and then you get tired. Well, that's where we are in the story. Boaz is now going to take a rest, and he's going to fall asleep. And while he is sleeping, Ruth is to go in there and remove the end of the garment, the blanket, over 
that is covering Boaz. And as a result of this, Boaz wakes up. And Boaz says, who are you? And that's where she says, I am the servant Ruth. And then we see the kindness of Boaz, where she says, spread your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Here she is actually asking Boaz to marry her. Now, I'm just about out of time, unfortunately. So I'm going to have to pick up the tail end of this message in the broadcast tomorrow. But I want you to know that God often uses kindness to test us in our obedience. You know, I've discovered that I can handle hardship pretty good. That tends to drive me to Christ. But how about kindness? When God really blesses me, that is a test to see if I'll still be obedient. That's what Ruth is experiencing, and that's what Boaz is experiencing. And so join me tomorrow as we wrap up the kindness of God looking at the story of Ruth. Thank you so much for joining me today. And as I close another day of broadcasting, can I pray for you? And if you would like me to pray for a specific matter in your life, would you shoot me a text message? 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me. That number one more time, 252-267-2365. God bless you. I join me tomorrow for part three. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.